Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% gains that society has become obsessed with and instead we focus on the other 99%. Tommy, how are you doing? Yeah, all good, thank you. Um, I'm looking forward to this episode. It's right on my street getting into the detail of training principles. Um, so yeah, this, this will be a good one. We're going to cover five training principles to get today, which are um, the said principle, which is specific adaptation to imposed demands overload and progression which is normally put into one as progressive overload but we're going to separate them out for today then we're going to talk about reversibility and finally individual differences um so yes it's going to be a good one today we're going to cover those five training principles and hopefully give the viewers some really um a really sound understanding of these principles it will give them the foundation for their training excellent excellent right let's jump straight into it well, tell me how your week's been first Oh, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. It's actually been pretty full on. Uh, we moved house this week, so starting a new job in September. So moved on uh, to the school site this week. Um, it's actually been pretty smooth. Um, so, uh, you know, pretty grateful for that, actually, because, you know, it's quite stressful moving house, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's been one of the most stressful things that you go through in life. I think it's like that, losing someone close to you in divorce, isn't it? They're like the top three most stressful life yeah. It's, I mean, I'm a person that just loves my routine and that's just been completely thrown out the window for the last few days. Um, weirdly, I think it's refocused me slightly. Um, I've actually been better um, on my food. I've, I wouldn't say I've trained every day, but I've exercised every day. Like I've got something done every single day um, yeah. around the moving things. So actually, you know, it's it's been a weird week. It's been exhausting. It's been stressful, but it's actually been quite productive at the same time, which is nice. And did you start your new job this week as well? No, we don't kick off till September, so I've got a bit of time. Okay, so you're, you're staying working at that school until September and then, oh, it's summer holidays now, is it? Summer holidays, living the dream. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, you're <laughs> off, off to Italy tomorrow. Yeah, I can't wait. Although it's going to be 43 degrees, I think, where we're going. Um, so I'll be shade hopping for 10 days. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> How's things with you being up north this week? Yeah, so I, I started with Man City um, on Monday and it's, I think it's a seven week pre-season until their Champions League game. Um, but a lot of the squad are still away because Euros are on. Um, so for the players that aren't involved in Euros, it's been back into training and the first week's always a really busy one because we put them through testing then we have to go through all of their results um, try and get their programs written and then yeah crack on so busy couple of weeks and then hopefully it'll start to quieten down a bit yeah that initial kind of data gathering and then you've got to obviously make the informed decision based on all that data to get everything out to the wider squad it's not just like it's one person is it so it's actually a huge amount to kind of sift through and work out for them is it? it's not one size fits all yeah and obviously like you have all these different like streams of data because like the physios collect certain stuff snc um and then like, trying to pull it all back together get a good overview work out what's important for who and then then get the programs out i think this is really cool and it's really i think enlightening for people to hear about this because i think a lot of the time the assumption is that professional sports men and women just do the sport 
you know they don't get you know they don't really understand the science of what's kind of happening behind that performance on a, a Saturday afternoon or a Wednesday night in the Champions League um there is actually so many more building blocks that kind of lead up to that performance um and it's great that you're sort of able to give us the first-hand experience of that yeah and it's it's obviously changed so much over the last like well probably 10-15 years um yeah SNC has really moved on it's still a really new discipline so um yeah still still plenty of room to progress even further but it's come on a long way in the last last 10-15 years like when we were at school I think it was just starting to be a thing wasn't it like strength and conditioning at that um kind of like school level or even after yeah, we left sort of I think some of the top like performing schools maybe um not sure yeah. it was exactly supported where we were um I think that's where we ran into a few issues which we've spoken about in some other episodes isn't it about kind of the yeah. motivations and and the sports specificity which is something we're going to touch on on today or well, not necessarily sports specificity but activity um specificity yeah. depending on what kind of people's goals are yeah yeah so if we that's that's a good segue into our first training principle which is the said principle um which is the stands for a specific adaptation to impose demand and it basically means whatever you train for you get good at so i see a lot of people go wrong in a lot of ways on this principle because they almost look for things like strength and conditioning as like the magic bullet to get them better at whatever they're trying to get at which obviously it has a role to play but the best training you can do is go and do whatever you want to get good at so if you want to get good at running you're gonna to have to run quite a lot if you want to get good at swimming go and swim a lot if you want to get strong lift weights a lot um for me that's that's the most important take-home message for that principle but then the other the other area i see people go wrong with it is um, making everything look exactly like their sport and you would you would have seen these people in the gym like oh it needs to look exactly like my running or my swimming to get any transfer um and by transfer i mean you lift some weights and that has a positive impact on your performance in whatever sport you do um and this is where you need to look at the adaptation which is what transfers so as an example um a back squat looks really really different to running there are some similarities but it looks very different to running compared to maybe something like a step up but if you looked at the adaptation that you're getting from that exercise for example you might increase motor recruitment at the quad that's going to transfer over to your running so it doesn't need to look exactly like the sport but there needs to be an understanding of what is the adaptation you're trying to um get and then that's what will transfer to the sport yeah i think that's particularly with um strength training and running just a reminder to people that that's important i remember i know he's a little bit of a controversial character in many ways but mo farah when he first went over to train at the is it the nike oregon project is that what it's called yeah um the first thing they said to him was you're too weak you know you're not strong enough to run um the the kind of times you want to do and win the races you want to win so there's a there is a huge like you say a huge crossover um even if it doesn't look exactly uh like the the activity itself yeah and uh, if, if we take running as an example so this is one of the ways that you can um figure out what type of training you could do is just look at what muscle groups are important for each activity so you take running okay the calf's really important the quad's really important they're the two main muscle groups that generate your force to keep you moving so as an example you could do anything that's going to strengthen your ankle and knee so calf raises squats leg press step ups 
um, any any of those exercises will will transfer over to over to running. Yeah, because we're primarily we're talking about strength training, aren't we, and resistance training, so working against a load. But I think it's, um, just so that people are aware before we move on, you, that load doesn't necessarily need to be. Um, I've not phrased this brilliantly like an external resistance. Like we can work against gravity here. Um, some of this stuff can be body weight, particularly in the first instance, if you're new to it. Yeah. Yeah. So that body weight calf raises, then you can progress to single leg. Once you can do a lot of single leg, and uh, then you might look at doing some some weights at that point. You could follow that kind of progression. Yeah, for Which sure. Another principle we'll get onto, but yeah, don't want to get too far ahead of myself. <laughs> yeah, I'd, they'd be my two main take homes from the the said principle. You need to do a lot of the activity or sport that you want to get good at that's going to be the most important thing and then secondly don't fall into what's been called termed the specificity trap so it doesn't need to look exactly like the sport but you need to have some kind of understanding of what is the adaptation that's going to transfer over to your sport for it to be beneficial i'm trying to think of some amusing like things that maybe like basketball and people doing jump shots and trying to practice that in the gym yeah <laughs> That could look quite amusing. <laughs> Slam dunking medicine balls. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of someone that you always see. Like quite a common one. Um, and this isn't necessarily like a waste of time, but just doing any of the sporting actions like with a band around you or something, that's one you see quite a lot. Um and again we're gonna get on to overload principles, so I don't want to like get too far ahead, but that may or may not be overloading anything, probably not in my opinion. Um but like people fall into this trap of trying to make it look exactly like their sport and then um, don't get any results from their training. Because if we if we just stick with the squat and running, um, there was a, a period of time that, that I found where people were like, oh, for running, it needs to be a quarter squat. Um, because when I, you know, the degree of flexion in my knee is, is this amount um, when I run, therefore I only need to squat to this depth. And yeah. actually, I think, from my experience, what happened was people were using it as an excuse to squat badly as opposed to doing it productively. Do you, you know, what's your take on kind of squat depth or range of motion in terms yeah. of the active transfer? Yes, yeah, it's an interesting one because um, like going back to the said principle, you'll get stronger in the joint angles you train at. So what, yeah. one thing you'll see people doing is like isometrics at a certain joint angle to get stronger in that position. So as an example, um, for running, yeah, about 140 degrees at the knee on ground contact. So if, if I was trying to improve someone's running economy, I might do some like really high force isometrics at that joint angle. Um, but as as a quarter squat, we, we know that from all the EMG research, when you limit the range to quarter or half squat, um, you actually bias your glutes there instead of quads, adductors. Um, so... For for the squat, we know that the quad's really important for running. So I'm I'm going to want full range there if I'm looking to increase motor unit improvement at the quad. Um, if you're using it for for a glute max exercise, I probably still would link quarter squat. I'd maybe go half squat. Um, or just like my preference is just picking different exercises that are going to bias hip extension more. Over for me, the squat is a knee dominant exercise, not a hip dominant exercise. Um, and I think it's loaded better that way. Yeah, nice. That answer the question yeah yeah totally yeah so i'd like for me i'd go like isometrics really high force at that specific joint angle or i just squat full range yeah 
happy to see both in a program yeah yeah um and then the other the other place you see quite a lot of isometrics are when people have patella tendinopathy um or, or achilles but we're talking about the knee here um where typically you do like longer duration iso holds for pain inhibition and that can be a really good thing to do before you run yeah and also you're looking at potentially with your lifts then looking at time under tension as well um so much slower lifts in addition um to that isometric work as well right yeah but the, the i think time under tension is like a really misunderstood concept because yeah. the um the more important variable is volume load which is that's time for reps time for weight so if you really slow down the lowering phase or the um pushing up phase eccentric or concentric you end up sacrificing your volume load and then your training is less effective um so if you think and they say you're doing a bench press and you can do 10 reps on 100 with a normal tempo and then you really slow down um your tempo and you might get three or four reps out you've basically halved your or less more than half your volume load um so you don't get that same stimulus okay see i my understanding of it is that slower is motor recruitment so with an increased motor recruitment you're not necessarily you, sacrificing the load you won't get increased motor unit recruitment because um you're, you're sacrificing like motor unit recruitment increases with um with percentage of one rm but yeah it, like if you but you can use any weight and if you go to fatigue you'll get pretty much full motor unit recruitment um but yeah they, they've studied this and looked at really slow tempo training um compared to normal and normal comes out on top but what I was going to say is if you if you don't control the lowering phase and you just let it drop and you're not getting that eccentric contraction, then you're moving too quick. So you don't just want to like knock out the reps. You need to control it down and then then push back up. And the last point on that, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here, but if you're um, if you almost like imagine you're bouncing out the bottom of a squat, when you use that kind of tempo, you're getting more elastic energy um, from the tendons. So again, like for sporting performance that's a good thing for me um if you're trying to bodybuild maybe you would look to go slower so you're not bouncing out getting rid of that elastic energy and um forcing more mechanical tension on the working muscle groups yeah excellent well i've learned something there there you go <laughs> I, I think that ticks off the first one um Great. so yeah hopefully there's a good few take-homes there and we'll summarize at the end of the episode but if we move on to um what else are we going to cover should we go the overload yeah i think so i think that's quite an important one particularly when people are looking at starting their well for me it's two key times it's when you're starting your um your training uh, and what overload looks like for someone who's new to this kind of resistance training and then perhaps when we've gone through that kind of neuromuscular adaptation that rapid development what does overload look like at that point as well i think those are the two key areas for me yeah yeah so over, overload like sometimes it can sound i find when people aren't familiar with the term it can sound like quite a negative thing but to, to start with just clearing up that is it's what we want from our training in order to adapt and get better so it's, it's a really positive thing i think people often associate it with injury or um like pushing too hard and that that kind of stuff yeah it's the difference between overload and overtraining isn't there yeah so but by overload we're trying to um 
like the the sciencey bit is disrupting homeostasis so then you're you go through stress recovery adaptation so you apply yeah. stress that disrupts homeostasis then you recover from that and then that, that's where it's more like sciencey terminology we'll try and simplify it in a minute but then you super compensate or your your baseline level of fitness increases from what it was previously um and then, then you're fitter or stronger um that, that's kind of the process of adaptation you go through so if we don't get that overload you're not gonna get that super compensation effect and come back fitter or stronger i think actually this is a good time to plug our social media at the other 99 percent on instagram and tiktok because we can draw that out really nicely um yeah. that people can can see that so check that out it's coming this week yeah and then when we're talking about overload we're talking about um a physiological adaptation so it's not to say that you can't if i go back to specificity and practicing your sport you might not um overload in that sense if you're like practicing the skill of a forehand or a backhand or throwing a basketball um that that's a different model of adaptation um this we're talking about physiological or structural change yeah yeah for sure and then, then moving on from uh, overload. That's, that's what we're going to say. What, what that might look like for a beginner. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's kind of difficult in, in a lot of ways because if you go out and you research and you look at lifts um, or kind of strength plans, your kind of off the shelf training plan, a lot of them are going to work off percentage of one rep max. And I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to stick with that. I can't think of anything worse than trying to put a new uh, person in the gym through one rep max testing. It's completely pointless, dangerous, um, and I think it will just put them off. So now we've established that no one's ever going to do that because it's stupid. Um, where is that place that people can start? and How do we find out how to overload ourselves? So I, I really like RPE as a, as a starting point. Um, but if we're if we if we think about prescribing instead of percentage one RM, I'd use RPE or rate of perceived exertion as, as my starting point. But to to know what you need to do to overload, you just need to do more than what you're accustomed to. So if you're currently accustomed to doing absolutely nothing in the week, going for a walk for half an hour is going to be overload for you. You'll probably adapt from that. Um, if you've never been to the gym before, if you go in and do some bodyweight squats and calf raises, like we said before. You're probably going to adapt from that um so yeah overload just do more than what you're accustomed to which kind of brings us on to our progression point but um yeah that that would be the starting point um and using rpes instead of percentage one rm but it, it, like even rpes someone who's completely new to training is not going to know what a nine or a ten out of ten feels like um or what that might feel like to them is actually very very far from where they really are so they might feel like they're one rep short of failure in reality they're 20 reps short from failure um but they just yeah. don't understand how to train yet so those really early stages are just learning to move well um get technically competent and then just start start to build from there yeah i'd almost say that for the first few times you're doing something you're you're better off not worrying about the overload um and if you walk away and you've done less than you're physically capable of, but you've moved correctly, you've ingrained that movement pattern, actually that's progression in itself. Yeah. And the, at that point it's about like forming habits and like they, yeah. they bigger rocks at that stage. 
yeah so i think takeaway from this is don't worry about overload uh in the first instance um when you're completely new to training yeah and then once you've um been at it for maybe two three months um then it might be something you're more more aware of yeah for sure so then if we move on to progression yeah. um if we think about that model of adaptation again you apply a stress you recover from that and then you get that increased fitness or strength so now you're at a new level your baseline um has moved up so in order to get that same overload again what you do in your training needs to progress from what you previously did because otherwise you're not going to disrupt homeostasis and you're not going to get the same um same adaptation to that training because you don't get the super compensation effect so it, like in really simple terms it just means in order to continue getting fitter or stronger you need to do more over time yeah because if we have you know even more simple if we're training at an eight out of ten if we keep doing that same session it's not going to remain an eight out of ten that same session yeah. is going to become seven six five four over time so if we're still looking to progress we need to train at that that eight out of ten effort or yeah. more we need to increase the load uh, or increase the intensity of what we're doing to maintain that eight otherwise our body's adaptation is going to mean that, that session is no longer difficult enough to, to drive that adaptation 100 percent, and that's where um rp is a really good marker or a really useful thing to use because i feel like we spoke about this on a previous podcast but people come in thinking about progressive overload oh, i need to lift more each session when you're new to training, you probably will lift more each session. And that's how people sometimes differentiate between beginner, intermediate, advanced. Um, beginners, you can progress each session. Intermediate, you might progress week to week. And advanced, you need longer blocks of training to increase your levels of fitness or strength. Um, so, yeah, if you if you record your RPEs, say 8 out of 10, that's a good place to train. Oh, I've actually dropped to a 7 here. I think I could do a bit more. Then you can start to nudge your weights up yeah and then also and we have spoken about this previously as well um particularly when we spoke about like sleep and recovery is actually when you walk in you might be repeating a session within a week or after it feel harder based on like how much sleep you've got whether you've eaten the time of day that you're training at you know yeah. all of these things can come into it but that experience of training um and not getting too caught up in these things in the very first instance but sort of being aware of them early on and then and then as you get a little bit more uh sort of self-aware about your training you can start to apply them more specifically yeah definitely and we've obviously spoken a lot about strength training same for your running um think about trying to keep your heart rate at a certain level or again like your perception of effort at a certain pace you might run at six minute k's for a really really long time just say we're talking about easy running running at six minute per k's over time that might gradually shift to five 555 550 um but you're, you're trying to keep the same level of exertion because as you adapt and get fitter um you'll your perception will stay the same but your pacing will get quicker yeah i really enjoy heart rate for for running i think it's a really useful tool to have yeah. um but you know with all these smartwatch technologies now like my my garmin gives me race predictors of how quick it thinks i can run certain distances um 
I think my message on that is don't listen to it because there is no way that I can run a 20 minute 5k right now but that's what my watch is telling me I can do <laughs> so I think it can be a bit demoralizing if your your tech is like yeah you're totally fit enough you can do this uh, I can't uh, and that's fine um, that's not the level that, that I'm currently at but I think you know just um, again we're talking about that self-awareness and kind of knowing where your level is at again you know you can do those little test sessions particularly where there's very little risk of injury or something like running where you go out and you try and run a certain pace hold it for as long as you can if that's 20 minutes or if that's three minutes like at least you then know and you can kind of scale back and work from there yeah. um or you know, the way you were saying we start really slow um and over time that's that starts to get a little bit quicker yeah the, the one that gets me on garmin is your what is it is it baseline conditional performance yeah have you ever yeah, had yeah. that Oh, but it's like minus five you're like great i'm in for a tough time here <laughs> yeah when you're running a, a slow pace and your heart rate's already sky high but what it doesn't take into account and i've realized you can trick it um if your run starts with a downhill yeah um you're obviously running quicker for a lower heart rate and it will think that you're fitter than you are okay. um so with that it's really important that your first kind of six minutes i think it does it off with garmin are the same yeah so, Whenever I run now, my first six minutes are always kind of the same sort of terrain. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we moved house, we live in the countryside now, and everything's uphill. There's no downhills, it's all uphill. Um, yeah. Everything's difficult. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Garmin yesterday was yeah in the negative numbers, but I actually felt quite good. Um, so, again, it's just, you know, being aware of the kind of pitfalls of sort of automated tech as well. Yeah. Yeah, I need to get back to running. I've done nothing since I've been here. Uh, yeah, I, I was gonna, I was gonna try and stick to two a week, and I've just fallen off of it. It's only been a week though. Yeah, it's only, only been a week. I might try and run after this actually. Yeah, we'll um, off. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get back on topic. Um, so that's said principle progression overload. Um, the last two we were going to cover were reversibility and individual differences. So if we start with reversibility this is a really straightforward one if you stop training or even start doing less training the the level of stress that your body's adapted to is is going to start to reverse you're going to start to lose fitness or strength so maybe like we're just talking about running like i've i ran pretty consistently for four weeks i've had that week off a week might not be long enough to start to notice any real differences in your fitness but if i continue to not do any running my performance is going to start to come down um so, same for strength but actually when you're looking at something like running your performance will drop off a lot quicker than it would compared to strength training so you can actually go for longer periods without lifting weights and you'll stay pretty much the same um but aerobic fitness will start to drop off quicker yeah i think um and we definitely disagree on this um to an extent but what you're doing in that time off as well does make a difference um you know you might take a, a break from running but you're spending a lot of time swimming um or you're doing a lot of cycling um I'm, I'm not saying that these things are exactly the same as running but obviously if you're active aerobically and you're still training aerobically you're gonna still benefit from those things mm -hmm. um you know it, it isn't the same but if you're doing absolutely nothing at all obviously the reversibility is going to be quicker than if yep. you're doing um another activity um instead and that's quite common i think when trying to balance like triathletes isn't it um 
yeah you know how much time do they spend on each discipline um what's their best what's their weakest etc but you know just because you're not running doesn't mean you can't improve your running by doing something different yeah yeah i don't i don't disagree with that too much it's actually quite an interesting example if you want to chat about it because when you look at if we go back to that um adaptation um perspective what transfers from different modalities of um cardio training so you've got cycling and running um if you keep your high intensity work so say you're mainly worried about running and you spend a bit of time not running and you're on the bike you can maintain your um central adaptation so like stroke volume for example the amount of blood you can eject from the heart you can maintain that because it's central and you can still get your heart rate high on a bike yeah um and then outside of the central adaptations you need to look peripherally like at the muscle level so if we look at the quad again because the quad is used in running and cycling you might maintain those adaptations as well but if you were to go from um let's say running to like i don't know a hand bike or like skier or something like that you, you might not be able to maintain your running fitness as well yeah because different muscle groups activated yeah and like that that said like you might go from running to cycling and that that week off might actually give you a bit of time to recover properly because there's no um eccentrics or like muscle damaging parts of that um and you, you might come back in a better place yeah so don't be afraid of doing those things but then um it's probably worth mentioning as well that the length of time you've been doing that activity and the current fitness level that you have is also going to impact that um if you're an elite runner or an elite athlete you're going to see a smaller decrease maybe even an improvement from that week off or two weeks off whereas if you're very new to it you've done your first two runs and then you take two weeks off you are going to be back at square one yeah that's a really good point as well because like let's take mo farrow again i'm not going to be confident i can improve his running if i get him on the bike but if you take someone that's quite untrained you could probably do some cycling with them and their running will improve um There were some really good studies by, I can't remember his name now, but he took a load of untrained people um, and just alternated between running and cycling and got massive increases in their VO2 max um, and their, their running times. Yeah, I actually, with within myself, um, it's a few years ago now, um, I thought it would be an interesting experiment. I was going through an eight-week uh, boxing sort of competition training and I ran a 5k at the start and I ran a 5k eight weeks later um, and it wasn't quick at either end of that but it was I think it was about two and a half minutes faster after eight weeks with no running um, and it was basically tolerance to high intensity work because the boxing had spent so much time working for sort of three four minutes at a time at such a high intensity when you then transfer that to a, to the activity of running um, yeah the kind of the body systems if you like were um, yeah sort of adapted to that yeah um, so i think there's such a, a wide range of modalities that people can get involved with that will improve you know their, their running or the cycling the swimming yeah 100 percent. but th- then again if we go back to the said principle my argument would be if you just wanted to get better at running you'd get better at running if you just ran that whole time and didn't get injured or yeah yeah you'd get better at running quicker if you stuck with the running yeah for sure and then yeah like you said like for most people like a bit of Variety is a nice thing. You're going to avoid those overuse injuries. You're still going to get the health benefits. Um, so that, that's a really good way to train for a lot of people. 
Yeah, and I think as well, um, time of year um, has a real big impact on that. You know, through the winter months, do people want to be out running in the freezing cold or do they want to be on an indoor spin bike? Um, and kind of having that confidence that you are still going to improve yeah. doing those things. You are going to get added health benefits that we haven't even touched on in this episode. You know, yeah. it's not that just because you're not running, you're not getting better at anything at all. Um, yeah. You know, obviously doing that indoor spin is better than doing nothing. Yeah, 100%. And then last principle to touch on is individual differences. And um, yeah, I find this one an interesting one because I don't, I don't know if this is just like me being cynical or what it is, but people take the viewpoint of I'm really unique. I need a really special individualized program for me, um, which like, there's some truth behind, but like largely most people are the same. But the, the principle of individual differences is say we both ran um at 80 percent of our heart rate max for three sessions of 40 minutes per week individual individual differences is i'm not going to respond to that training program the same way that you will although we'll probably be quite similar um but that that's where you can look to start to individualize people's programs and there's a load of ways to do this for example um trying to match the um internal workload so We've done that by saying it's going to be 80% of our heart rate max instead of saying you're both going to run at six minutes per K. Um, and the theory behind that is if you match the internal load, which is what determines the adaptation, you'll get closer to matching the um, matching the response between individuals. And again, even that's not going to work perfectly. Like we could go and do that and I might get better faster than you or you might get better faster than me or we might just both not respond to the training at all. Um, that's that's where you have to try things and see see what works for you. Yeah, because obviously eight out of ten for you and I for forty minutes, if we're running at eighty percent heart rate, yeah, I'm I'm certainly going to get an adaptation for that. But if we stick with Mo Farah, if he runs at eighty eighty percent, eight out of ten for forty minutes, that's easy for him. He's cruising at eighty percent of his heart rate because he's his threshold is so much higher. Um, so that's yeah, I guess what you're saying with the individual individual differences that that's where that kind of starts to play a part as well yeah yeah and then when you look at people that are really well trained um they'll have a load of stuff that beginners won't so like their tolerance to pain will be much higher in terms of like um acidosis and that kind of stuff like the feeling of lactate burning in your muscles um they have higher fractional utilization which is like you said like they can sustain a higher percentage of their max for longer um and yeah there's tons of stuff going on there but I, th I think for like a general take home is um, and we've spoken about accountability partners and stuff before, which is a great thing, like training with people is great. But at some point, your training might have to start to look a little bit different. When you first start training, everyone's going to get better. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, but as you as you become more advanced, you might start to see these differences. Um, someone might progress quicker than you doing the same training program or you might progress quicker than them. And you might need to start to tweak some of the training variables which we're going to touch on in the next episode when you're putting together training plans and stuff um but that's our principle of individual differences you you might not respond the same to the training as other people do amazing so quick summary for everyone yeah quick summary um we went over the said principle specific adaptation to impose demands so you get better at what you train essentially is, is a take home there if you want to get good at running go and run if you want to get good at lifting go and lift um 
don't fall into the specificity trap and have some kind of le- kind of level of understanding of what the adaptation is it's going to transfer from um, resistance training to your sporting activity or activity. Yeah. Um, happy with cross training and, and using different activities to achieve um, that kind of increase in stimulus with, with the overload and the progression as well. Yeah. And the, yeah, yeah. The, the take home from those two is over time, your training needs to progress um, in order to keep adapting. Um, so do more over time is the, the big take home there for those those two. Yeah. And then probably finally for me is don't rush the process. Like if this is something you're engaging with now, you're hoping to, to still be doing that in 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Um, yeah. so, so don't rush that process and don't get caught up in in kind of these immediate um, developments and, and start to think of it as a longer term process. Yeah. And then finally, reversibility. The big take home there is be consistent. Don't be scared to take weeks off every now and again if you go on a holiday or whatever you're doing. But on like for the majority of the time, be consistent so you don't um, don't start to lose that progress you've made. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I think some really good stuff, people there. Um, so I hope you enjoy listening um, and tune in next week. Do you want to give a heads up about that one? Yes. Yeah, so and next week we're going to talk about putting together some training programs. So the main stuff we're going to be covering are volume, intensity and rest, which are our big free training variables. Um, We're going to talk about meeting the recommended guidelines for physical activity. Um, And then, yeah, we'll probably do like a couple of case studies of putting together like a running program or a strength training program. And yeah, hopefully give some people some programs that they can go away and crack on with if they don't know where to start. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, look forward to seeing you all next week.